There, there are several things we've learned about Jabez. And the one thing that made Jabez stand out is that his mom had given him an identity. Jabez meant what? Pain. Pain. He was the royal pain. And so for whatever reason, his mom had identified him as a pain. And yet in that identity, he actually rose above it through the power of God. He was not going to allow what other people defined him to be identified as to determine the course of his life. We also learn this about Jabez, is that he prayed a prayer of blessing. What is God's blessing? You see, oftentimes we think God's blessing is what we achieve, but actually God's blessing, God's blessing is this. Not what we achieve in our abilities and powers and resources, but what God does through his strengths and his abilities. You see, that's what it means to be blessed by God. Oftentimes we run around and say, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed. But oftentimes we're doing it in our strengths and in our resources. But we know that we are blessed when God does something beyond, himself, beyond ourselves in him and his power and his strength and his resources. But he also asked this, When he prayed his prayer, he said simply this, just don't bless me, but enlarge my territory. You see, oftentimes when we look at our lives and we look at this world, we look at what other people have, right? You look at people in the congregation and say, I want to be like the Florios. I want to be like the Higbees. I want to be like the Vanderbilt. I want what they have. You see, that's not what Jabez prayed. Jabez prayed, Look what you have already given me. You see this lot? You see this five-acre lot? Take it and expand it and make it more. In other words, take, off the, take down the fences that have been placed around them by my limitations, by my, li, uh, by my limitations, by my, my resources. Pull them out of the ground and do more than I could ever imagine. You see, that's what it means to enlarge our territory. It means that we look at what we have and we say, God, do exceedingly more than I could ever, ever imagine. I talked about this briefly last week, that oftentimes we look at our territories, we look at our our family situations, we look at our jobs, and and we come to a point of limitation. And what do we want to do? How do we want to expand them in our lives? We, We quit on them. We quit on our relationships, we quit on our jobs, and we don't give God the ability to push through, to take down those walls, to take down those fences, to do even more than we could ever, ever dream or imagine. Not in us, but in Him. You see, that was the first part of the prayer, and the prayer actually had to do with everyone but Him. It actually had to do with God himself because he realized that he was in need of a savior, of a rescuer, of a redeemer, of a king. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to wrap it up today by looking at the second part of this prayer. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. It's on page 241. If you have one of the church Bibles, my preaching Bible fell apart two weeks ago, so I have to use the Blue Bible. 
It says this. I'll give you one minute. And by now, we probably all know it by heart. So we can read the first part, and we've probably been praying this. There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, Bless me. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. And here's what we're going to focus on today. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. He says, please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. You see, we love the first part of the prayer where it says, Oh, bless me. Oh, expand my territory. Make it all about me. But here's here's the whole change in this whole prayer. The game changer, the kicker, is that he says, and please be with me in all that I do. You see, this first part of the, of the second part of the prayer is that he says, I want to learn to depend on you. I want to learn to lean in on you. I want to learn that in everything that goes on in my life, that you are the one that I'm dependent on. And here's the problem. We don't like dependency, do we? We like when other people are dependent on us. Why? Because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel good about ourselves. It makes us feel confident and that we're useful. But we don't like to be dependent on one another. We don't like this idea that that I have to go to someone And trust that they'll help me. You see, the lie is this. Here's the lie, the dependency lie. The lie is simply that we can do it ourselves. The lie is that we don't need anyone else. And the greatest lie is that if we lean into someone and become dependent upon them, that we are weak we're a failure. You see, that's the lie. But here's the truth about dependency. God created us from the very beginning to depend on Him. It began in the garden. And it not only began with Him, but, but He taught us that dependency is actually about community. You see, when we lean into God and we depend on Him, we are in communion with Him. It's also with one another, even here in our church. That there are times that we lean into one another. Why? Because it's in that community that we find life. That we find answers. That we find hope. You see, right now we have, a, we have a church in the Western world that runs around and doesn't believe in this world, word, true Christian community. How do I know this? Because people this morning have lost their hope in the church. 
They're at home and they're watching pastors on TV. They're, they're, they're jumping from church to church because for whatever reason, they actually believe that all they need is Jesus himself. You see, that's the biggest lie. That's a lie from the devil himself that you would live in a place of isolation that it's only about you and God. That's not true. When you look all throughout the history of scriptures, both ancient histories in the old and ancient history in the new, that God always sent his people out in community because they, he first wanted them to learn to be dependent on him, but also to model that relationship with one another. So where have we lost this? What's the reality of dependency? The reality is this. We are in a culture that trusting others fails us. Amen? Come on. Amen? Amen. Seriously. We live in a culture that we are unable to trust one another. Let's bring it down to spouses. We hurt one another. We do things that causes the other person to have a lack of trust. And without forgiveness and repentance, that trust is never healed. You see, it's one thing to ask for forgiveness. It's another thing to repent. You see, to repent means that you turn and you go the opposite way of what you were doing. We have children who have a lack of trust in their parents. When you're from a broken home and you don't know what it is, your trust is broken. It's what it is. I'm not saying that to offend anyone or cause any problems, but that's the truth. Is that when divorce happens in a family, trust from a child is saying, which one do I trust? Who do I go with? What do I do? And even though they may not be communicating this, Deep in their soul, that's where they're feeling. Deep in their soul. And so for that young man who's been through that, he looks at other women and says, I'm in love with you and I want you, but I don't know if I can trust you. Or for that young woman, she may, she may find a, a guy handsome and, and strappingly strong. Doesn't that sound cool? Strappingly strong. But can she trust him? Because daddy left her. You see, that's where we come back to not dependency just in one another, but dependency in God. We trust him because he has always proven to be faithful. And you know the greatest sign of faithfulness that he showed us was, if you turn with me quickly to John chapter 14, let me show you his greatest form of, of why we can trust him. Verse 26. Let's start at 23. This is Jesus saying, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat, up oh, wrong chapter, sorry about that. Here we go, I got all excited. Verse 26. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, 
He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. You see, the disciples had done this. They had depended on Jesus for everything. Jesus was the model of God. He was the presence of God. Everywhere Jesus went, he did supernatural acts. He healed, he delivered, he walked on water, he calmed the storms, he spoke life into death. And so everywhere the disciples went, they said, there's God. Even though they were saying there's Jesus, they were really saying there's God. And before Jesus left, he says, I'm going to allow you to continue to depend on me. Even in my absence. And that's where he gave the Holy Spirit. You see, as a Christian, there is, this is my hope. Not that God is supernaturally just sitting on a throne and that, and that hopefully in my prayers that, that somehow that there's angels up there with little, with little fishing nets catching my prayers and hopefully catching robs. And they're just up there swifting and some of them are getting passed by and other, other ones are being caught. But I know this, that every time that I go to my advocate, my counselor, my healer, my redeemer, my friend. That Jesus is present in his presence. And so actually what Jabez was saying is this moment, this presence, that as I am praying, the same presence, I want you to continue to allow me to have this. And the only way I can have the same presence is by being in your presence. Dependency. Because when we are in his presence, that's when we're empowered. That's when we're equipped. That's when, when you are going into that meeting that you've been dreading for the, this whole year, that when you're about to step into this meeting or into this conflict or into this conversation or into this financial difficulty, whatever it may be, that you know that God's presence is with you because you're leaning into him, because you're trusting him. And that it's more about what God gives you, but it's all about God's relationship with you. You see, that's the kicker in this whole thing. Is that we get so wrapped up in what we need or what we want that we forget about the relationship. That's the joy. It's not just being rescued out, but it's, but it's all about what happened before, what was taking place during, and then celebrating how God had seen you through each step of the way. You see, Jabez had lived a life as a young man that his whole life was filled with trauma. I mean, think about that. You ever been abused by a parent? Have you ever met someone who's had such tragedy? That they have no idea how to function in this life. 
And there's two things that that individual does. They either press into God and say, God, you're going to carry me through this. Or they collapse. They can't do it. And Jabez had come to a place that he just said, I'm going to push in to God, into his presence, that I'm going to come out alive. Kathy Candido, great example. Over the last five months, she's had no idea what was going to happen to her. No idea. And she pushed into it. And God's presence was made whole. You see, that's the uniqueness about Jabez's prayer, is that he trusted God's presence in that he was going to be 100% dependent upon him. But you see, it just didn't stop, stop there. It even went further. He said, please be with me in all that I do. Teach me dependency on you. And here's, here's the trick. Teach me dependency on you as you bless me. As you do supernatural acts, supernatural works, the things that I was unable to accomplish, that as you do these things, let me depend on you. But also, keep me from evil and pain. You see, if you were to open up a bunch of different translations of this Bible, it would read this. One would say this, NASB. New American Standard Bible would say, keep me from harm and that it may not pain me. Another translation says this, keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. Who likes that one? Me. Another one says this, keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. You see, we like this idea that keep us from evil that I may not experience pain. But have you ever thought the danger of what evil brings into a person's life? You see, here's what Jabez had realized. That as God blesses him, temptation is inevitable. Do you know that? That as God blesses Jabez, temptation is going to be knocking on his door. And here's what I truly believe. I believe in, the, in this whole idea that the two people that struggle the most with temptation to giving in to sin are first those who are struggling. Like right now, if you are in a crisis moment, if you are struggling, you have had a lot of evil thoughts to get out of your situation. You have thought about ways to cheat you have thought about ways to lie. You have thought about ways to manipulate. You have tr figured out ways to kind of clear your path so, so no one can find out what you may do to not be in this difficult place. It's how it is. People will do anything to get ahead. 
But the other person is this. Those who become complacent. Those who have so much that when they look back on their lives, they're like, man, I am blessed. I am blessed. I have everything I need and more. And you slowly forget about the one who blessed you. And you become vulnerable to the temptations around you. You become weak to knowing that that what you have actually is not from you, but from from the one who gave it to you. And so you kind of go into life after you've achieved all these blessings and and all these accolades and, and everything that you wanted and you're ready to go. And that's when Satan says, I'm ready to take him out. Let me give you two examples of two different kings. The first was, let's talk about complacency. King David. He was a young shepherd boy who had turned into one of the greatest kings Israel had ever seen. Really the greatest king Israel had ever seen. And his whole life he had learned to depend on God. As a shepherd, he realized that without God's strength and without God's ability and without God's protection, that he couldn't protect these little lambs. As a matter of fact, he was so dependent on God that, that he was not afraid to confront even wild beasts, bears and lions. He ripped their mouths off and did crazy things. And imagine that, be like, imagine you seeing a bear. You're going for a walk in the woods with your dog. And a bear in, in Ramapo Reservation pops out and says, I want to eat Jakey. You know what I might do? I'm bouncing. Jakey will probably run faster than me. But David would see these things go up to that which God held precious in his hands. And says, I'm going to rip you apart. And he did that. And all throughout his path to becoming a king, he always was dependent on God. Even in the most difficult times. When others were out to kill him. And all of a sudden, David had gotten all this fame and all this glory and and all this wealth and was, was no longer living in the fields, but living in the palace. And he was supposed to go to war. And and one time he says, Not this time. I'm gonna rest. And so when he rested, he went outside, and instead of going to battle, he stretched out his arms. Time is it's 11 a.m. I slept in. As he peered over his, his deck overlooking the kingdom, he saw this beautiful woman bathing. And he's thinking, I've been given everything already. Why can't I have her? And he sent to have her. And that was the beginning of the end of David. You see, God still did amazing things with David. But something happened. And then you have King Saul on the other side. So you have King David and then you have King Saul. And, and King Saul, just one day, this guy Saul, this guy from a good family, he was, he was big and strappingly handsome and had everything together. And, and God said, I'm going to make him the king of Israel. He looks like a king. Because that's what people want. People want someone who looks like a king. And God blessed him. 
but it was never, ever enough. Never enough. Never enough. And he got so wrapped up with his blessing that he says, I want people to bless me. I don't even want it from God anymore. I want it from others. I want people to tell me how great I am. And God said, you see that blessing I had upon you? Taking it off, I'm putting it on someone else. But here's how I like to translate this one. I like this one translation. It says, keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. You see, when you look at King David and King Saul, their pain had hit them because the moment they gave into that sin, they recognized like, wow, I really messed up. How do I fix it? But you know what happened to King David? Bathsheba had a baby. And the baby died. And all his kids stopped trusting him the way that they once did. Same thing with King Saul. King Saul had this son, his name was Jonathan, who was supposed to be the next king. And and Jonathan had saw David and said, he's going to be the king, not me. I'm okay without being number one. But Jonathan turned against his father because he knew his father's evil ways. You see, men, Deuteronomy's correct. Our sins affect our children to the third and fourth generation. If we don't get right with Jesus, whoa, I'm serious. Once you repent, I believe God forgives you. God restores you. He can wipe all that junk away. But if you continue in your lies, your children will be affected. Do you know most men who, that I counsel who have had affairs, either their father or grandfather or great-grandfather had an affair? And women don't get off the hook easily. It's the same thing. If we don't deal with, with our sin, God doesn't joke around. And it's not God who does it, but it's the evil one who kind of traces through the family and finds that family's weakness and says, hmm. But I do know this, that when people have sinned, when people have committed adultery, when people have stolen and lied and robbed and cheated and done all these other things, just like Saul and David, God restores. And he could take that which was broken and bless it for his glory. You see, I recognize that because of my wild teenage years. I recognize that all my junk could easily have been passed down to my children. And so even in the frustration of ministry and other relationships outside of church that may happen, I recognize that without Jesus, I'm a dead man walking. I know that. I know that I am a dead man walking without Jesus' presence all the time. 
And so when Jabez had prayed, we love this idea of two weeks ago of, of bless me. Enlarge my territory. But if it stops there, it's actually about you because if you're saying, be with me, let your presence be with me. What you're telling to your children, your spouse, the people you love is that, that Jesus is more important than you. Jesus is more important than anything else in my life because I want to be in a relationship with him so you will be in a relationship with him. But it's also this. God, you have blessed me with so much. Speaking for me, you have blessed me with Sue. You have blessed me with Brandon and Becky and Ben and Luke. You have blessed me with an opportunity to step out and do this huge risk of planting a church. I want to see this through. But it's only based on me and you. I want my kids to follow you like like I want to follow you. Matter of fact, I want them to follow you more. I want to set an example that in my presence with you and in my relationship with Sue, that one day, Becky would want to marry someone like me Probably not right now. But she would want to marry someone like her daddy. Not because of all the good things he does, but because that all he did his whole life was lean on Jesus. I want Brandon and Becky and Luke to look at their mom and how she does the same thing. And that even in our brokenness and even in our sinfulness, that we are quick to repent and faster to fall on our knees. And God, as much as I love doing this, do not allow this to define who I am. Take off those fences. You see, I know that in all of our lives, that the prayer of Jabez is what we long for. We long for that, but the problem is if we just say like, I'm going to say this magic prayer, I may read the passage every day for four years, I may pray it over my children that it's going to happen. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the heart, the condition of the heart. That Jesus, I want to start this year off right. And in my brokenness, and even in my state of sin, no matter where you're at, you may be in the middle of something really bad right now then you know what? Praise God that you're here. I'm serious. I applaud you. I applaud you that if you are struggling in a place right now and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to show up. I'm not here to reprimand you. I'm here to build you up and say, praise God that if you're here, I promise you, I promise you, God will bless you and enlarge your territories. And no matter what situation you are in right now, forgiveness and healing and blessing will come through it. I know that. I'm a product of it. But it begins with the heart. And it begins with dependency. That Jesus, I'm going to do this year right. I'm going to lean into you. 
And I'm going to walk with you day by day. Forget what happens at work. I'm going to show up and do my best. In my marriage, if there's tons of things going on right now, I'm going to continue to show up. If my teenagers are just going crazy, I'm just going to keep showing up. But the one thing I'm going to do that I didn't do last year is I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to surrender to you. And then I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. You see, God promises that he who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of completion. I believe this. God has a plan for everyone. Everyone. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. No matter what anyone's gone through, God says, I have a plan for you. Plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Plan to give you hope and a future. But the way that we know it through is when we depend on him. When you pray to me, Jeremiah says, I will answer. When you lean into Jesus, you will see the fulfillment of his work in your life. And I also believe this. In Hebrews, it talks about the opposite. You see, we can do one of two things. We can lean into Jesus and have this huge blessing and experience that even in my trials, even in my temptations, you are with me. You see, the treasure is not here on earth. The treasure is the journey and what happens in the afterlife. That's it. If we are blessed on earth, we are going to be blessed by a million in heaven. And if we may not have the blessings that we say they have or they have, our blessings are the same as theirs in heaven. Peter was so frustrated, and I'll wrap up with this. Peter was so frustrated as he looked at John because Jesus said to John, here's what's going to happen in your life. And Peter says, give me the same thing. And Jesus said, no, I have something different. Something different. Something equally as blessed. How do we do this? You walk with Jesus. You wake up and you make him your first priority. Jesus, I'm here. When you go to work, you say, Jesus, help me start my day. Jesus, when you go into conflict, Jesus, be present. When you're celebrating Jesus, you're with me. And you learn about him in his word. Jesus, tell me what you did when you handled certain catastrophes and certain trials. Teach me how you taught others. Show me how you came through always for some stupid reason, sorry God, in the last minute. Anyone ever feel that way? Why is it always in the last minute? God's got to show up. Because he's teaching you something beautifully along the way. Here's why I talk like this. Because I love you guys. And everything I share with you is, is something that I wrestle with. I've been wrestling this actually since June. I've been studying this for myself since June. And the reason I bring this up is because I want God to do this in my life. And I also know that I'm like Jabez. I'm limited. 
I'm not the most gifted. I have a lot of weaknesses. A lot. And failure is part of humanity. But I give this to you because I want this as well. The reason I want you to live on mission is because I want to live on mission. I want to learn what does it mean to live like Jesus in Bergen County? What does it mean that when God blesses us so much that we're saying, it's really not about us. It's about him. What does it mean that when I open my wallet and I'm being serious and I'm touching home, that every time that I open my wallet, I say, whose is this? Is this Jesus's or mine? Every time my kids get something good in school or have a tough time in school, who's it really about? Is there accomplishments about me and my parenting? No. It's about God's grace. And it's about my, my weakness to step in to help. This is our prayer this year as a church. That your identity has, if you step into this, I will bless you. God will enlarge your t- He will only do this or wants to. If you're willing to say, Jesus, this is me and you. And I want to do this in such a way that it's not that I'm going to avoid pain. I'll protect myself from pain that I can cause myself. Amen? Amen? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite Kurt up and lead us in communion. And as he walks up, just take a moment and just pray. Just, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? No matter where you are on this journey, what are you saying to me? What are you saying? This is the one moment, corporately speaking, get selfish. What are you saying to me, Jesus? What are you saying to me? So that we can put our selfishness on the counter and selflessly walk into this world.